Thank you for joining me for my first episode of Push Through. This is your host, Keisha Reeves. I'm excited that you're here. Kick back and let's talk about all things womanhood and motherhood. Hi guys, welcome to my first episode. This is my first time recording and I'm super excited. Um, I wanted to release this episode before January because January is the official launch for the podcast and I wanted to do this episode because I wanted to give kind of like some background information just about myself, about the podcast, what this is about, what is push through about, why you should even bother to listen, just all of it. So where do I start? Um, The first thing is, I must say, um, I'm not a big public speaker, although I do public speaking engagements. um, I have another podcast with a close friend of mine that I really enjoy. And it's fun and it's great, but I'm not, I don't have that personality. So this is very new for me. So please bear with me, you know, kind of hosting something on my own and carrying it on my own. Cause I'm just, I'm not an entertainer, but I am by occupation, someone who's very inquisitive and someone who loves to learn and someone who is intrigued by people. And I am a licensed professional counselor. I have a private practice here in Atlanta, Georgia. Georgia is where I'm originally from. And I've been in the mental health field for over, gosh, over 10 years, um, if not more. Um, I majored in psychology in undergrad. I went to Clayton State University. And then I went to graduate school at West Alabama, where I majored in counseling and psychology. And I did a couple of graduate work where I work with um, clients who had developmental disabilities. I worked in community counseling with families who were formerly homeless. Um, And then I even did corporate work for a little bit with an insurance company working in their crisis departments, also approving mental health benefits. And along the way, I figured out what my passion was, Um, and that's being in private practice and mainly just working with women. And at some point, I got my specialty in maternal mental health. So in addition to working with women who kind of deal with your your day-to-day normal issues of depression or anxiety or work stress or family problems, relationships, Um, In addition to that, I got a specialty where I also work with women dealing with infertility, trying to conceive, um, losing a child, rather through miscarriage, um, abortion, stillborn, um, as well as transitioning into motherhood in that fourth trimester after having a baby and also dealing with postpartum depression, which is something that we call perinatal mood and anxiety disorder, but I'll get a bit into that more later on in some other episodes. And I absolutely love what I do. I feel blessed that I was able to find a career that I don't 
necessarily feel like I have to get paid for to do. I mean, it's great that I do get paid because I have bills and I have a life that I want to live and I love to travel and I have a kid and I also have a kid on the way. Um, but I meet a lot of people rather through, through my practice or even just like knowing them personally that just absolutely hate their job and they just kind of get up and go. And we live in a time that's different from our parents where our parents could get a job when they were like 18 and stay there until they retire. Like my, my dad worked at Central State Hospital, which was once the largest mental hospital in the world. And he retired at 50. He had been there that long. Whereas millennials, which is what I'm considered as, you know, I think we give it like a good two years before we've moved on to something else. Um, so we just are in a different generation. But I I am incredibly passionate with working with women. And the reason why I decided to work with women is because, of course, I'm a woman myself. Um, and I'm a black woman. And I just know how it is, you know, dealing with the patriarchy being in a a society that puts a lot of pressure on women, whether it's for their physical appearance, for what's thought of as their responsibilities, being caretakers, rather that's for our partners, for children, and then also being able to navigate their career world, their friendships, their self-image, who they want to be, who they used to be, being able to merge the two. Um, And now we're in the age of social media, and that has a huge influence on how we think of ourselves or having other people such as men decide who we are as sexual beings or who we should be portrayed as. And there's just all these factors that it feels like a jungle that you have to kind of walk through to reach self-actualization and find yourself. And in the midst of that, if you do decide to become a mother, that's a whole other thing to figure out. And I love helping women figure that out. Um, I know how it is. I wish I had the confidence that I have now when I was 16, but it's a journey. We're all on a journey. And I feel blessed to be able to work with everybody that I work with. And so from that, that kind of started this platform that I began on social media called Push Through. And originally it began after I had my first son, Ezra, and I gave birth to Ezra January 21st, 2017. And it was a pretty easy pregnancy. It was pretty easy labor and delivery. Um, Everything was pretty much a cakewalk. There were a lot of environmental factors going on at the time. But for anybody that knows me, I'm a pretty calm person. So there's not much that rattles me. And if you see me rattle, then you know it must be a big deal. <laughs> like I, I'm, I don't, I talked to my brother about it because we're kind of like the same in that regard. We are very cognizant of how we insert our energy, what deserves our energy and what doesn't, what matters, what doesn't matter, what affects our lives, what doesn't. Like we're just not the type of people that just kind of like pop off you know, for any reason at, at any time. We're just, that's just not who I am. <laughs> but when I do, <laughs> you know, it's a big deal. Um, and so at the time that I was pregnant towards the end, there was just a lot going on. Um, there was a move. Like when I was saying I was working for an insurance company, I had got laid off. 
Um, My husband had just gotten a job because he was finishing up a doctoral program and had just passed the boards and realized that his field was a bit saturated where we lived. Um, So he ended up accepting a job that was about two, two and a half hours away just to be able to get employment because I was having a baby and we needed insurance and money. So we had to move out of our apartment. Um, We were also in the process of purchasing a house at the time that I found out that I was getting laid off. So we were trying to expedite that process before my final day with the company because, you know, um, your lenders will check to make sure that you're employed the day of your closing. So that was we closed in 45 days on our first home. Um. So it was just a lot going on and neither of us have a lot of family that live here and the family that we do have their separate lives and responsibilities of what they have going on. So even after Ezra got here, I didn't have much support. And then, like I said, my husband worked very far away and where we moved to was somewhere that was as close as possible to where he where he was working um, that was still somewhat in Atlanta. It was in, is in the suburbs, um, but it was still like a good hike away. So sometimes he had um, some friends that he went to graduate school out where he was working that he would stay at versus traveling back home sometimes um, because it was too much to have to work a 12-hour shift and then drive almost three hours back home and then be back at work at 7 a.m. the next day. So Needless to say, I was alone a lot with a newborn as a first-time mom, and my son had colic, and he cried a lot, and I was incredibly sleep-deprived. And I'm not going to go into my birth story too much because I want to save that for another episode, but um, it it was a very, very, very traumatic time for me, Um, so much so There's a lot of things about that experience that I haven't really shared with many people outside of my husband. And it was so traumatic um, where it's even very difficult for me to talk about without crying. Um, But with that, (laughs) I decided to start something called Push Through. Because when I came out of the cloud of it all, because there's just so much going on, not only just externally, but just within myself of figuring this out and being alone a lot and just feeling very, very isolated. And there was just so much that I didn't know, like um, your nipples crack when you breastfeed. Um, Your body changes drastically and it takes a long time to go back. You bleed tremendously. It feels like a horse kicked you in your vagina. Um, And... People will tell you sleep when the baby sleeps, but they don't really expound on how detrimental sleep deprivation really is and how it trickles into depression and anxiety and a little bit of OCD. And it is the hardest thing I've ever had to deal with before. And I didn't know about resources like there being places in Atlanta where mothers can just go and hang out for the day and bring their baby and be around other mothers and you can bring your lunch and they have coffee and tea and your babies can have um, floor time and there's some camaraderie. I didn't know that Atlanta Birth Center 
offered free postpartum groups to mothers various times during the week to just go for an hour and just talk and support each other. Um, I didn't know about a lot of things, you know, I didn't know about things that I could wear that I could use, um, or even just like encouraging words to hear to help me get through this time because it is temporary. It doesn't last forever. And people kept telling me that my brother who's in Texas was like, you know, it's, it's not going to last forever. He's going to sleep at some point. It's going to get better. But when you're in it, it doesn't feel that way. And I wanted to create push through. Um, because I wanted to remind mothers of that, to be able to push through and to give them the resources and tools to be able to do so, give them the education and the knowledge of the resources that's out there. Um, Rather it's stress, rather it's anxiety, rather it's being able to know how to take care of yourself, being able to ask for help. Um, And even just knowing that support doesn't always look like mom, dad, sister, brother, best friend, um, because none of those people in my life live near me. Um, They would have to travel a good ways to get to me. Um, Sometimes supports are being able to go to a support group or if you can afford it, hiring a doula or your OBGYN or your neighbor or someone at your church um, or someone at the park or being able to just go to story time at the library just to get out of the house and be amongst other people. Sometimes supports look like that. Sometimes you have to Skype somebody just to be able to talk to another adult and not feel by yourself. And um, I remember my best friend, Nasika, she lives in Maryland and we would Skype nearly every day and that helped tremendously. She's a mother of four and um you know, just when you're at home, just with a baby who's just crying all the time and can't tell you why. And sometimes there's no reason. It it can be hard. And especially if you're somebody who's like me, um, I'm a person who sets out to do something and I do it. And I put pressure on myself to do it at the best ability that I can. And it wasn't like I was just never around children. Um, I used to work in foster care during my undergrad years and graduate years until the point where I was promoted to a program coordinator, which was like a supervisory role. So that was six years I worked in the realm of DFACS and social human services. And I loved working with kids. I loved working with babies and small children or just, you know, adolescents, just all of them. And like I said, I'm intrigued by people. I love to help people. So these were kids that were going through a crisis of being separated from their families, sometimes for a good reason and sometimes for not, and just being able to help them during that transition. So I changed diapers. I fed babies. I put them to sleep. You know, I'd done nap time. I'd done activities. And I even, when I left um, working in that realm, I missed it so much. I ended up volunteering for Big Brother's Big Sister because I just felt like the need for that. And I got matched with my little Amaya when she was four. And crazy enough, Amaya graduates from high school this year. So we've been matched for that long. She was in my wedding. And we're close. Like, I love her family. I love her mother. She's phenomenal. And, um... So I'm not just stranger to children. And I've always wanted to be a mother 
more so than I wanted to be a wife. It was just like, if I didn't meet anybody or if I ended up being single, then I'm still going to, I'm still going to use these eggs and I'm still going to be a mother. So it was this, you know, this idea in my mind of this is what you wanted. You know what you're doing. Why are you having a hard time with it? And um, kind of sucking it up. Um, so it was just that pressure. And I think a lot of women who may be in my position are, are just different. Just being able to hear that you're doing a good job goes a long way. Or just being able to get some tips on, well, try this or, you know, you, you do this. Or just hearing someone say, oh, I totally know what that's like. I, I've been there. This is how I got through it. This is what I told myself. So I wanted to create this platform for, for women to be able to exchange that information to be able to encourage each other um to not just be so focused on being hard on themselves or or let me try to lose all this baby weight as soon as I hit six weeks postpartum because I got to get back out here you know just being able to really be grounded to give yourself some grace and to take some time so that's how that started and um with that came the subscription box service and then with, after that this year I had my first conference um, which I would like to say was a success and it exceeded my expectations and I'm going to do it again for 2020. Um, but in addition to that, aside from women who are mothers, there are just women who are product of mothers because we all have them. We all came from someone. And not everybody necessarily wants to be a mother or is capable of having a baby, but who they are is rooted in where they came from. And um, I go a little bit into this in our my first episode with a close friend of mine. And me being a therapist, there is a philosopher or a theorist that's kind of like the original OG of the psychology field, which is Sigmund Freud. And he um, created something called psychodynamic theory, which is something that I kind of work from with a lot of my clients, but it's basically things that happen in your childhood that you were exposed to or was modeled for you or just the culture of your family and the dynamics help shape who you are as an adult and how your perspective is, who you choose for a romantic partner, just things of that nature. Some of the things once you become an adult, you realize hmm, maybe that wasn't so healthy. Let me try to rid myself of, of this information that was instilled in me. And some of it is a value and it's a great characteristic or trait that you may have obtained and you may pass on to other people that you interact with. But getting to that place of being able to decipher the two is a part of the journey. And I feel like um, our mothers have a huge impact on that. Um, of who we are, how we were raised, things that we avoided. And not only that, but just being able to think about the generations that came before us, what their struggles were as mothers, how were they able to be present for us in their own way? What did they go through? Did they choose to be a mother? Did they not? Um, and that's going to be the theme for our 2020 push through conference is generations, how our parents kind of um, created a path for us and what does that look like and so through this podcast I wanted to 
of course, be able to have times where, you know, I may talk to someone who specializes in pelvic floor exercises and why that may be important. You know, just be able to provide information and resources for mothers or women, but also to be able to just have candid conversations. I don't want to say like interviews and I don't want to necessarily say like um, a therapy session, but just a real candid conversation with someone about their experience as a woman or as a mother um, and where they came from and how they became to be. Because I just find that so rewarding. And I think that I had the aha moment. Um, and this has nothing to do with my mother, but I'll talk about her in later episodes because she's she's pretty amazing. But this is about my grandfather. Um, and this is just kind of like an example of how impacted we are and we don't even know it about people who came before us. Um, so like I said, I'm pregnant with my second and my husband and I have been going back and forth about who we, what we wanted to name our son's middle name. We already came up with the first name. That was kind of like done before I even got pregnant. But for the second, initially we were going with my mother's maiden name because my mom has always been like a huge influence and had like a huge impact on me. And she's just an incredibly strong woman who's been through a significant amount of hardships in her life. And so we wanted to name her, name him, um, his middle name after her maiden name. But the difficulty in that um, is her maiden name does represent like a lot of other things in addition to that. And I'll talk about that later. But so we kind of went back and forth and my mom's name is like a very <laughs> old fashioned name. So her name is Ernestine. So it, we could go with Ernest, we could go with Ernie or, or Ern or something like that. Um, but his first name was already going to be um, an E name, Ellis. And that's kind of like keeping the tradition of the E names because my first son's name is Ezra. So it would have been like Ellis Earn or Ellis Ernest. And it was just kind of, it was weird. So <laughs> so we kind of like dabbled with it. Um, but I had went home recently to visit my parents because um, my father had had an accident and had an injury. So I was going home to check on him. And somehow we got on the story of my grandfather. And I am from central Georgia, military Georgia. And I was raised kind of like in Southern culture. Um, I will say that it wasn't as Southern as I've been exposed to from other people like um, Dublin, Georgia. Um, There's a whole documentary on Dublin, Georgia that was on HBO. I think it's called The Southern Right, where they had segregated proms and segregated homecoming courts. And that was as recent as maybe like two, three years ago where they changed that. So mine wasn't that, <laughs> that far back in time. Um, but there was a lot of racism that happened in Milledgeville. And it was one of those types of things where you don't even realize what's what you're exposed to or the culture of it all until you've been removed out of it because it's a way of life that you don't really see it. And um, once you're out of it, then it's pretty blatant to you. And so that was the childhood that I lived. And you should hear me when I go home, like my Southern accent becomes incredibly thick 
And my parents are from surrounding cities, Sparta, Georgia, Devereux, Georgia, that's even more Southern, uh, where it's pretty common that people live on dirt roads. You may walk to the, to the gas station barefoot or go outside barefoot. Um, it's just very Southern. You will eat like tomatoes raw with like some salt on it. Like it's, it's country, but it was very pleasant um, because everybody just kind of got along and um, it was just the way of life. But I say that to say my grandfather, his name is Lee Reeves. He was always my favorite grandparent growing up. And that's because he um, was just that grandparent that would always just sit and talk to me as a child. Some grandparents just don't like they may like, you know, ask you to do something or you're just kind of like there or but they don't just like sit and just like talk to you. And he would and he would just tell me these stories about when he was in the Navy, Navy and um, he was on a submarine. And I remember I had a project at school where I had to write about the Great Depression and my grandfather was born in 1912. And I was I had asked him, I said, well, you were you were living during the Great Depression, Grandpa. What was that like? Which we called him. I called him Papa. And he was like, girl, we were po. <laughs> there wasn't no Great Depression. It was just, that's life. Po. Po before, po after. <laughs> Growing up, basically. Um, but he was always just a jovial person. He was never pressed. He was just always in a good mood. He was chatty. He loved to sit at Walmart and people watch. Everybody knew him. He was friendly. He spoke to everybody. He went to church every Sunday. He would wear his suit with his hat on and he was just like a very warm friendly person as I got older I learned that he was also a rolling stone and he had outside children and that caused conflict between him and my grandmother which explained her demeanor which I never knew why um she was a little unhappy sometimes I'd be over there but, you know, when you're a child, you're just oblivious to adult things. And um, that necessarily wasn't favorable. And he also spent some time in prison. Um, and I, I didn't know that until my adulthood as well. But despite all of that, there was still just the core of who he was and how he made me feel that always stuck with me. So I knew that my grandfather had always been a farmer. That was something that was kind of always talked about in the family and how he had such a significant amount of land to be an African-American man in the South that it was almost unheard of. But through alcoholism and bad decisions, he lost it. And that brought some shame on the family. And it was embarrassing, so to speak, thinking about what could have been had he made better choices in his life. That was like the most that I knew of it. So when I went home for this visit, somehow we got on this topic of it with me and my dad. And this is why I say storytelling is so important because there's things that when people pass on and you don't receive this information, you just never know. And it's important to know these things about who who were these people, you know, how what did they what did they have or what did they accumulate or how did they get there? Because I think pieces of that go into who you are. Whether you know it or not, you know, it's kind of, I just believe in my own personal thoughts that it's in your, your bloodline and your DNA and you see it and you feel it and it makes sense. And sometimes we can admire 
influencers on social media or we can put celebrities on a pedestal when we have people in your own family who have done and accomplished so much more and are actually people you can reach out and touch and have a picture of them in your home and they're actually related to you. But so my father went on to say that um, my grandfather was someone that was close friends to an older man named Mr. Ward, I believe his name was. And Mr. Ward wanted to help him become a farmer. Mr. Ward had a significant amount of land as well. And so he helped him take some agricultural courses at Fort Valley State University, um, which is outside of Macon, Georgia, which was unbeknownst to me. You know, I mean, that's a college and I had never known that my, my grandfather had attended there. And so he learned how to be a farmer there. And um, back at that time, black farmers or black people in general just weren't getting loans from banks. Um, They were discriminated against um, based off of their skin color. And so I didn't get the details, but somehow, some way, he got up enough money to purchase 115 acres of land. And with that, uh, he created a very successful farm for years my grandfather had let me count how many kids he have had my dad um my grandma had two kids plus he had um roger lucius kimball lizzie francis so my grandfather had eight kids plus himself and my grandmother and they would work the farm and um He had pretty much everything that was needed to have um, on the farm without having to go to the grocery store. If they went to the grocery store, it was something for like aluminum foil. But he had pigs, cows. um, They would make sugar cane and take it to the meal, cornmeal, just everything. And he was so good with his pork and cured pork. He would enter it into like competitions I think my parents called it the ham and egg or something some sort of festival they would have and he would win every year for the best cured ham and just money that he was making and he would work from like sun up to sundown seven days a week on this successful plentiful farm and had done so well for himself for years And when you think about African-Americans, it makes sense that naturally they would be good farmers. We were brought over here to basically be farm equipment and agricultural became a trade without, you know, like occupational side effect without a choice of being so. And to see how he could do that and make a life for himself and provide for his family um, on his own terms, I felt was incredibly admirable. And although, you know, he made bad decisions and lost it and it wasn't something that we could have inherited or carried on within the family name, which would have been amazing if so. um, I think that just goes to show through how sometimes with people and whatever they're dealing with, because I have no idea what he was going through um, for him to be in that type of position and mentally. And of course I'm a therapist. So I just want to ask questions. Well, maybe it was just hard for him, you know, whereas other people just kind of shake their heads like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe 
um, Lee, Lee lost that, that farm and they talk about it in such disbelief because he was raised up so highly and to have seen him fall. But from hearing all of those additional details about him, I decided to name my son middle name after my granddad. And my granddad's real name is Lee Reeves, like I said, but his nickname was Sonny. And that's what everybody called. And I think that was a good representation of how, like I said, he made you feel like sun rays. Like he was a breath of fresh air. And um, that's the name I want to give my second child. But I think that what I took from that story that I kind of carry with me is sometimes life is hard at the beginning and sometimes life is hard even after success. But you keep pushing on. And I can't imagine how he felt knowing that other people, you know, felt disappointed in him, but nothing ever stopped him from having a smile on his face, um, from being the type of father that he was and from carrying on. He died at 94. He'd always been in good health. Um, he had diabetes, but you know, he managed through it. He never really was in the hospital. He just kind of passed of old age and he kept pushing and like I said, he was born during the Great Depression. Um, he lived through the civil rights movement and he voted for President Obama. So I just can't imagine what life looked like through his eyes. But he kept pushing on. And that's what I take from his story. And so each interview that I have or each candid conversation um, is those little gems of people who impact us, experiences that impact us, that resonate with us. And I think, like I say with all of my clients that come in for counseling, a lot of the times we feel defeated in life and we feel like, oh my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to get on. You know, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this boss. She's down my back. Or I don't know how I'm going to deal with this breakup. Or I can't believe this person did this to me. Most of the time we have the tools to cope with life within us, but it's a matter of tapping into them and utilizing those tools. Um, and that's that's the hard part because we may have lived a life dealing with life a certain way for years, but then to switch it up and do something completely different for the betterment of ourselves is the struggle. So <laughs> I don't want to talk your ear off. That was just a little bit about me. Um, about what it is to come, what to expect. And there's just so, there's so much. There's so many people I want to talk to. There's so many topics I want to cover. There's just so much. And that's just kind of why I wanted to do this because there's not many people of us in this field of maternal mental health in Atlanta. I have a consultation group that I meet with or met with because we've been on hiatus and we would meet like once a month. And even being a therapist sometimes can be a little isolating because you just you're in you're in private practice. You see your clients, but you don't have like co-workers, you know, quote unquote. So I think this is another like outlet for me. The things that I learn, books that I read, articles that I've read, information I want to share. And I learn so much from my friends or just from people that I interact with um, at conferences or, or events that I go to. And I want to share it and give it back to you. And so if there's any topic that you are inquisitive about, is there anything that you want to know or question you want answered or 
Even if you want to be a guest on the show, if you have a story that you want to be able to share, please email me at Keisha, that's K-E-I-S-H-A, at KeishaReeves.com, and that's Reeves, R-E-A, V as in Victor, E-S. Hit me up. Um, let me know. I would love to answer any questions you may have. Even if you have an here an episode and there was something that stuck out to you that you wanted me to elaborate on or you wanted to know more about, just anything in general, don't hesitate um, to let me know. Please feel free. And with all therapists, we are in ever evolving field. Um, I am still human. We all don't know everything. We're always just learning. So even if there's things that you want to share just as far as like a resource um, or a tool or a tip, feel free to drop it and I will definitely bring it on to the podcast. So I hope you stick around. Please subscribe, um, leave comments, give a review, share the episode, and I will see you soon. Bye.